This episode is brought to you by The One Summit, two days that would change your life forever. For tickets, go to theonesummit.com. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Meara. And welcome. Welcome to today's podcast where we ponder the question, (laughs) do we have eating disorders? (laughs) Now, we don't want to make light of the subject because it's actually a really, um, it's actually a really serious topic, but we were just having a conversation about eating disorders because when I was counselling, it was one of the biggest components of the people who came to see me. Um, And a lot of the people who came to see me, I would see the young girls, predominantly young girls, and then their parents would come in and see me as well because I always used to make sure that I met with both parties because it had a big, you know, it had a lot to do with the, the, the process of it and the healing. So we were just talking about that and then we posed the question or Kim actually posed the question that she thinks about food and what she eats every day and Cindy has a label for it so we've decided to talk about eating disorders and eating orders because (laughs) is what with you guys thinking about food all the time and me too because I'm the overeater um, but is, is what we have classed as an eating disorder or is it just an attention thing and what really is a dis- eating disorder and what exists out there and I'm happy to share some of the experiences that I've had and some of the results that we had. Mm. What do you reckon? Well, you know, the what's that DSM called? The Diagnostics, Physician's Diagnostics mental for Mental Illness. There's like 350 mental illnesses now. It's, a, it's this um, journal or, the, or this thing that all the psychologists get. Mm. I think it's called the DMS or the DSM or something like that. And there's 300 and something um, diseases in mental illness now. And, and they seem to find a new one around. You know, there's ADD and ADHD and there's um, now there's ADHD, LDLD. And <laughs> oh, yeah. And then there's manic depression and then there's bipolar and then they've, they've renamed everything. And it's got some huge amount. Anyway, in the food eating... There's not only orthorexia nervosa um, and, um, oh, sorry, anorexia nervosa and anorexia bulimia. There's now orthorexia nervosa. Now, what's that? Okay, so orthorexia orthorexia nervosa is an unhealthy obsession with healthy eating. Well, unhealthy obsession with healthy eating. That's basically what it is. I think I suffer with it. Yeah, I suffer from it too. An (laughs) unhealthy obsession. Well, it's an an, unhealthy, yeah, it's it's basically an unhealthy obsession with healthy eating. So it's where you can't go out to eat because you're concerned about the food that you're eating. Uh It's where you, and Mm. I am that. I don't want to eat the crap that they're they're doing. So I have orthorexia nervosa. And I'm getting it. And there's a drug for it. (laughs) I'm getting it. (laughs) (laughs) There is a drug for it. (laughs) It's contagious. Actually, I don't think it's a bad. I I think you can go past the point of of healthy Mm. as far as um, of what you do eat. But, you know, 
to me, I would rather have orthorexia nervosa than any other other mental illnesses out there where you are concerned about what you're eating. You are concerned about what they're putting in our food supply and, and you are concerned about the chemicals that they spray on our land. And, and you do have a concern about genetic modification and nanotechnology and additives and preservatives and flavorings. And so I don't think it's a bad thing, but they're making it out that it is a bad thing and that... Um, and, there, and there's a medication for it. I think today was an example. I went into the butcher to get my son a steak. I think you mums out there will be so oh, proud of me. The vegetarian oh. mother giving herself mm-hmm. a steak. It's very, mm-hmm. very good. So I was standing in the butcher and I said, oh, can I get some bacon? Oh, by the way, does that have nitrates in it? And they both looked up at me and they went, yeah, every bacon in Australia has got nitrates in it. And I said, oh, not at the organic butcher shop. And he goes, oh, I used to work at the organic butcher shop. And I can tell you this now, most of the meat is not organic. And I just went, sorry? And then he goes, um, and then the other one turned around and he goes, it's very hard to find nitrate-free bacon in this country. Yeah, I find it all the time. Uh, well, so they say. Yeah. Or not. Or not. Last week. But it just, what it posed for me in the question was trusting you know, these ethical sources and, and that mm. what we're told, and, and I believe you, if you tell me it's got nitrates in it, I believe you, if you tell me there isn't nitrates in it, I'll believe you, because I don't create that meat, I don't find it. Mm. So I think this unhealthy obsession, obsession is, for me, finding out what's truth. Um, and I've been trying to work out in my head, is my a negative association with it because I ask questions all the time and I think the more I followed your path or your lead around food the more skeptical on one hand and the more excited on the other Mm -hmm. because of the control that I can create in my own life but also the fear of well not a fear but the concern of what people say is true so my question to you both is where and maybe it's Karen Moore, we're talking about eating disorders, and this is what started the conversation. But where does a where does a an obsession or a a, a a longing or a desire or whatever it is become a disorder? And how then is it a disorder? Disorder, and how do we then work through what a disorder is? And is it with you forever? Could you answer all that, please? Oh, good grief. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, when a longing or a desire or an interest or an attraction becomes an obsession, it's where the thoughts can't be controlled. So if you're obsessed with something, you're unable to control yourself. You're unable to control your thought processes around that. So let's just use food. So you're unable to control yourself where, um, and you're unable to control the thought, the thoughts that go on to the point where it's seen as unreasonable. Now, psychology doesn't d- determine what reasonable means. They just say unreasonable. And I guess if you to think of unreasonable, it's in comparison to what's considered reasonable. Very fine, or grey lines. Very grey lines, very Mm. grey lines. But really, if you think about an obsession, it's really, just to put it in a nutshell, it's where you can't control yourself. You Mm. can't control your thoughts and you can't control your actions and you can't control your behaviours. You are obsessive about that. Um, And, you know, I think that as far as is it with you forever, 
look, I think that there's treatment for everything, and I, I think that there's there's a way that people can make adjustments in their lives for everything. It's just one whether the person is willing, two whether the environment supports that. Because if they were capable of, if the person was capable of making a change themselves, they would have. So they need an environment that actually supports that, and they need an environment that gives them a healthy comparison. So if you've got somebody who's behaving unrealistically or unreasonably, they've been in an environment that gives them a healthy comparison to what is reasonable and what does give them more freedom. Because ultimately I think that's what, what we're actually all aiming for when it comes to treatment is to give the person freedom from that compulsion. Mm. So if you've got freedom from the compulsion, it doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to make unhealthy food choices. It just means that you've got freedom from the obsessive thinking 24-7, where you can't think of anything else that just completely controls and consumes your thoughts. So, um, well, I don't think then that I have an unhealthy obsession, obsession with, with healthy, healthy eating. eating. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough to get your tongue around it that. It is. Orthorexia nervosa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Go with that. Um, my, my thing came up because someone said to me the other day in a talk, oh, it's all right for you, you're skinny. Ah, and um, well, I've been thinking that all along. <laughs> we, I'm just saying. Well, I'm just putting you in tart <laughs> But what I, I think, what made me really give the thought mm. was around how much thinking and thought I give to what I eat. Mm. So, I could gorge. I could quite easily sit there and gorge and overeat. I really could. But I, because it tastes so good. Because the food I make is sensational. I mean. If I would just, if just, I'm just say so myself. <laughs> but it is. And the fridge is always full. And I love. I might have to go and have a check. Her fridge is always full. Like I was in there having a few nibbles before we started. <laughs> <laughs> I saw one little slice all by itself and I went. Oh. Okay, well, so you brought up a point because we grew up. <laughs> we grew up. With How do you leave one slice in the fridge? Exactly, oh, one little slice, and I didn't want to eat it because you'd know I ate less. Damn! <laughs> so there was this other one that had, that had heaps of slices, and I went, she yeah, that, won't know. I'll go for that. I'll have a piece of that, and then I bought half in for her and half in for me. <laughs> One slice. It's like leaving one piece of chocolate in the in the block. Like you, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I have no problem. With that. She's gone nuts. Yeah, no, it's just not. You just can't leave one slice. No. I'm sorry. If there's one slice, it must be eaten. No, I, can't, I don't do that. <laughs> but I think. But here's here's a question. So I grew up. So with I can a have that twice. Yeah. So go get it. Go get it. So I'll I share it with you. Go That we didn't have a full fridge all the time. We were lucky to have food oh. in our fridge. So you just saying that, saying my fridge is always full, yeah. is that an obsession that has become an occurrence from my childhood or a belief that the home is is good when the food when the yeah. fridge is full? So maybe, but you also love you know I see a real passion in in you cooking. You love cooking. I love it. I you know you you spend a lot of your time cooking. So. It's your love, mm. and maybe it wasn't your mum's love, and maybe your mum didn't have the money to do that. Both. Whereas both she didn't love it, and she didn't have the, have money. the money. And whereas you, it's a priority to you, whether you have the money or not, it's a priority to you. Yeah. And I think that you sacrifice other things to have good food in your house, mm. as you know. And it's probably the one thing I spend more money on than anything else is food. Like I went, I went to buy a suit today, and I came away with one hundred and twenty dollars worth of health foods out of the new health food store. <laughs> Nice. Nice work. Nice, nice work. It didn't get the suit. 
It suited you, though. It, it did suit me. Yeah. I, I just went... How did I spend $120 on food? Where's the new health food store, I want to know? Oh, I was I went to Brisbane. Ah. I actually went to Brisbane, and I'd never seen... Well, it's new to me. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> it may be old, but it was new to me. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so girls, back to the point. Back to the, back to the yes, point. Yes, back to the point, yes. So, so where does... So back to our obsession thing. Mm. Yeah. Because I think of food all the time. Now, I think about it in a way of what am I making for dinner, but I'm also thinking about what I'm making tomorrow and probably the next couple of days because of my lifestyle. Yeah, of course. But then when I sit down to to eat, when I sit down to eat, I don't want to just eat. I'm fussy. I am really fussy. So some people say, oh, a little bit won't hurt you. You don't have to make it. But I'm non-negotiable on a number of things. Mm. So, for instance, if someone put a red steak, in, uh, I mean, a steak in front of me, I just I couldn't touch anything on that plate. Mm. I wouldn't. I couldn't. Mm. Whereas other people would be fine with that. Um, but if someone, you know, Jacob, I said to him, what did you eat while you were away on your rugby tour? And he goes, oh, everyone went to McDonald's, but I actually went to a cafe because he rang me and said he'd run out of money. And I went, oh, honey, what are you spending it on? You're spending it on junk. And he goes, no, everyone wanted to go to McDonald's, and I went to the cafe. Honey, spend away. (laughs) 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 But I thought, isn't that interesting? He's 14, Mm, didn't mm. want to go to McDonald's. So where did the obsession, like, to give me a rundown on the eating disorders and what's their differences? So I know of anorexia nervosa, anorexia bulimia. Mm. Bulimia nervosa. Bulimia and nervosa. So, yeah, nervosa is where um, you just don't eat. You've stopped eating. Bulimia is where you are eating obsessively and vomiting um, to get rid of it. So that's the, the distinction between the two of them. But And more often, and, and, and really, they end up um, being the same problem, um, as is compulsive eating um, or an obsession with eating or like I've seen you know people that are 120 kilos that make love to their food as they eat it they're, mm. they're obsessed with their food and like I if you look back food has never been as available as, as it is now and the types of food have never been available as it is now and I think it is more that you know, like at the, as they say about nervosa and bulimia and overeating and all the other addictions that there are around food. I, I actually believe it is not just a mental issue, but it's a physical issue as well. At first, they believed nervosa and bulimia was a um, a mental issue, as is self harm a mental issue. But when you listen to the likes of Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride, she, you know, her take on all these eating disorders that we have and and all the health problems that we have all stem back to our, and we talked about this last week, um, and it's our disconnect to food and it's our disconnection with um, what is happening in our body that we believe that we can just give it antibiotics and get rid of bugs, but it gets rid of all the good bugs that we need in our body. You know, we are 10 times more <laughs> DNA bugs than we are, our own cells, our own DNA. And we work symbiotically together. And when that balance goes out, not only do you physically um, become affected, but you mentally become affected. And then put on top of that all the food that's available and then the the marketing about thin girls and um, the comments that girls make to each other as well as what men make, you know. I, I, I actually believe it, it's, it needs to be a multi-pronged attack Mm. in helping these girls 
and I say girls because it seems to be mainly girls. Yes, boys definitely get it. Um, so if I say girls, I actually do mean the boys as well, but it seems to be more so a, a problem with, with young women. But what Natasha Campbell McPride says, and I really, you know, I really trust her as a professional, and she says, these girls look in a mirror and they don't see what we see. They are seeing something very different. And they actually, even though they've got no fat on them, their skin and bone, they see a fat girl. And they actually do see a fat girl. And it's interesting, you know, I, I interviewed Wes Carr recently and, and Wes was talking about that he thought that his thoughts had more reality than what reality was when he was on, when he wasn't well. And, and these girls, what they see is their truth, even though it's not true. And what she believes you need to do is take these girls away from society, put them out into nature, um, in, into an air, a farm even, where they begin to co- make contact with nature again, where you begin to heal their gut, where you heal them from the inside, as we talked about last week. You know, we talked about we've got to start from the inside. Um, we look internally for our help. So we start healing from the inside out rather than the outside in. And it really upsets me when I hear somebody who's told me that they, uh, their daughter or um, a friend or someone like that who has nervosa or bulimia, and especially nervosa more than bulimia. Anorexia nervosa. Yeah, more, more anorexia nervosa, where they have anorexia nervosa. And the doctor says, just make them eat anything, ice cream. Um, chocolate, anything to get food into them. Mm. But to me, that's not looking at it in a multi-pronged attack because you're feeding them these foods that have additives, preserves and flavorings, which are causing the problem in the gut, which then affects the rest of the body. Well, it affects the, the way, way that they, they think. think. And the way that they think. Touche. Yeah, well done. And definitely the yeah. way that they think because we know uh, that there is the, the, the brain-gut access. Mm. And when the gut's not working right, the brain's not working right. Mm. And what we've done in the past is give drugs. Like if you for ADD, we give Ritalin. For depression, we give antidepressants, Prozac, things like that. Uh, for uh, even for skin conditions, we give racutane, which is a, a mm. totally toxic drug. So we we do this, and we we mask symptoms as opposed to going, what is happening? Why mm. does she see herself as as fat when we see her as a bag of bones? Mm. Uh, and as far as the bulimia goes, it it all is the same because they're you know they're still using food. And the one thing that they talk about is that. Um, it's like control. Yeah. It's a control mechanism. It's like self-harm is the new anorexia nervosa bulimia mm. is the self-harm. And these these kids are self-harming all the time. And and even the whole um, suicide thing, you know, Wes talked about, it was kind of cool, you know, in his days that, you know, who was that? Um, Nirvana? Nirvana? Kurt Cobain. Kurt Cobain. Mm. You know, it, it was in that era that mm. it was cool suicide. So wow, exactly. You know, did these kids realise it's forever? That's it. That's mm. done mm. for the, for this lifetime. It's gone. And and what Natasha says is that it it, it has to be a multi. But I, then the kids, the kids, the kids. You you got to get the kids to change. And some of these kids don't want to. 
They don't want to move. They want to stay in that position. But but do you think? Do you think also too though that they don't want to change? They don't know what to change. Yeah. And if you haven't got the right environment, you were talking about and creating mm. that space for them to see the opposite or perhaps a better way or comparison even a comparison then then that's where I think parents become so responsible or feel so responsible and probably feel at a loss. If they knew better, they would do better. Exactly, for sure. If, if I was told that my daughter, who got very slim a number of years ago because she really she just didn't like eating, I don't know if it was a mental thing, but she just, she just didn't have an association to food. She wasn't obsessed with it or even interested in it. It didn't even bother her um, whether she had it or not. She forgot to eat. And with all the training she was doing, she got very skinny to the point where her teachers and a couple of I kept thinking we'll get over and I kept trying to get smoothies because she wouldn't do soups, but smoothies and all sorts of things like that into her. But if a doctor turned around to me and said, look, just get any calorie food into it. Remember we watched um, that ADD show on the ABC and he said deep fried Mars bars, ice oh. cream, anything at all, just get the calories in. Because he was losing weight on those drugs, wasn't Yes, yeah. and when someone's so slim, they just want the calories. But I don't think with the knowledge, well, I know with the knowledge I have, there's no way I would give my child a deep fried Mars bar. I mean, they wouldn't even get a normal Mars bar. Mm. So I feel for parents that are told by professionals that this is what they need to do, don't worry about this, the, the parent probably feels relieved that they don't have to think about anything other than just get some calories in. But what we don't understand perhaps, and maybe you can help me, is the process of what a, a bowl of ice cream would do as opposed to a bowl of soup. Just give me the rundown. Like let's let's say the doctors just said, Cindy, give your daughter any calories whatsoever. Give her some ice cream. Give her a deep fried Mars bar. What would happen to her physically, mentally, emotionally mm. if she had the bowl of ice cream, as opposed to you going home and making her a bone broth and getting her to sip on? Hopefully, she would keep it down or she'd eat mm. it. I mean, do these kids eat this food? Do they eat an ice cream better than they do? A, a soup like I, I don't know enough about it but I'm asking you what would what would be the difference let's find out first of all what would be the difference physically if they had the bowl of soup as opposed to the bowl of ice cream well if they're having the ice cream depending on what the ice cream's made of and it's so funny because in the last day I've just done a whole thing on ice treats and one of the ice treats that I looked at which you don't know unless you read the ingredients and some of them don't even have the ingredients because they're at those new takeaway ice cream stores and yogurt stores. It had 98 ingredients in it. In, a, in an ice cream? In an ice cream. Oh, my goodness. I, I was floored by the amount that was in this this ice treat. I'll call it an ice treat because it wasn't ice cream. It was it was one of the new yogurt bars. I, you know, they're, they're dropping up everywhere, yeah. these new yogurt bars. Yeah, yeah. And they're ice yogurt. And everybody thinks because it's yogurt, it's a better alternative to ice cream. So let's say that a, a mother goes, great, it's a, it, you know, let's just get ice cream into it. Let's go to one of the yogurt bars and let's give her this. And there's a hundred ingredients. Now, I wouldn't actually call them ingredients. I would call them chemicals. And you don't know what that's doing to the human body because we know that one of those additives, if given to a rat, gives a certain result or not. You know, it could give one or the other. But we don't know if 50 to 98 together what that's going to do to the human body. But we do know that it's going to 
um, create a disharmony, probably in the gut in some way. So they could be allergic to something. The body might see it as the enemy, so start an inflammatory response. There could be a preservative, no doubt, in it, which then kills off the bacteria in there. Then the good bacteria dying and the larger, the, um, the bacteria that... Um, are, are the pathological ones, which are always there. It's just when they get out of control and they do have their, their part to play in the whole of the human experience of, of health. So when you eat an ice cream and you're doing that, you're setting up a chain of events that, are, that can happen and goes all the way to the mind. So we know that what you disturb in the gut you disturb in the mind. But then let's go on from there. Let's go to the liver. The liver's got a detox if you've pulled anything in. If you haven't, you know, had diarrhea or vomited it out, the body's going to absorb a lot of it. And then you've got to deal with it. So the liver has to deal with it. And, and as the liver tries to deal with it, it needs to pack it away. So it packs it away in places it's safe for the human body. And that could be intercellular. It could be within fat cells. It just has to pack it away until it can deal with it. And then if you do this for breakfast, or morning tea, for lunch, afternoon tea and dinner, there's this cascade of effects that happen. And what's interesting is as the inflammation increases, then this, this is what's even more amazing is when the inflammation increases, then all the processes in the human body start to change. So let's just take the thyroid. Just for one thing, let's take the thyroid. The thyroid produces a hormone called T4. T4 converts to T3. T3 is needed by every single cell in the body. Let's say you have an inflammatory process and T4, you've got lots of that, but you haven't got enough T3 and the process between T4 to T3 is hindered by inflammation. Therefore, you have no T3, then the cells don't get it. Therefore, you don't use oxygen. You can't metabolize. You can't, you can't, you, you're tired. So then if you're tired, then you think, oh, it's too hard. I'll just go eat ice cream. It's easier than me going and doing a bone broth. Do you see the perpetuation of of a doctor saying to somebody with a disease, no matter what disease it is, whether it's mental or physical, and they're all to me, all combined, go and eat ice cream. You don't know, you, the ramifications are far, you know, far greater than what we know. And I want to say right now, or not, because you look at people like, and I'm sorry I'm going to throw this in here, but you look at people like um, Anita Mojani. You know, Anino Mojani was on death's door and they were throwing chemotherapy still into her after she came out of the coma when they said she'd be dead. She will not wake up. Do you remember this story? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And they're still giving her chemotherapy. She wants ice cream and yet five weeks later she walks out of that hospital. Mm -hmm. So while I'm saying that food is really important, it's also our love for ourselves and how we feel about who we are as human beings, which we did last week, you know, and, and that important mm. thing of going internally for help is because that's where it that is. When you're feeling so <sighs> well, that's when you distorted. do it. But that's when the work is, yeah. and that's the you know, like when things are going really well, we don't think that we need to do any work. When really, actually, that's when things are going really well. We really do need to. That's when we really do need to be doing the work, so then we can cope when things don't go well. But for the most part, we don't go looking for help until things all turn turtle. Exactly. Yeah. And this is what happens. We wait till we're in crisis. Mm. And then we go, oh, I better do something about it. And yeah. then sometimes I, I think it's too late. 
But, but what about the poor parents who've got a child? Like my friend over in the UK had a son who was suffering badly with anorexia nervosa. He was, I mean, I got a shock when I saw him. He looked like a walking skeleton and, and he was yellow. He'd gone, his skin had gone all yellow, which I guess is the liver mm-hmm. not functioning in the best way. And I remember one morning making some um, an omelette and I put a bit of butter in the pan and I put some onion and then I put the, the egg in to make an omelette. And this young man wanted to come and I said, I'm just going to go for a walk. And he said, I'll come with you. And I didn't think he should walk. He didn't look well enough to walk, but he insisted he came for a walk. He was obsessed with going and exercising. And his whole talk the whole way around was, how could you put butter in your food? It's a fat. Now, he did not, and I asked him, I said, do you see how unwell you look? No. No, you can't have fat. Like, he was really obsessed with how bad fat was. I don't know where he got that from. But what I'm asking you is, when you're that in it, as a parent, you're distraught. Mm. You want to do everything you can to help that child survive, let alone, you're not even thinking thriving. At this point, you're thinking survival. Is it then the tribe that you enroll into your lives to get you through that? Is it what 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 do we do? I think as a parent, certainly from and this is not definitive. This is only just from my experience. But I think as a parent, you know, the parents got to look at the role that they've been playing in the child's life all along, because I think that there's a part of that that they've got to actually have a look at. You know, from what I've seen in counselling sessions, there are parents who enable. The issue with their kids, they enable the disorder with their kids where they stay, they make it okay, or they fight with the kids, and either way, it's still driving their kids to want to take more control for themselves. Because you know, eating disorders traditionally, and this is not again definitive, but generally, eating disorders are a way for people to take back a sense of control for themselves because they feel like they have they're in an environment where there is no control that they have, so the only thing they can control is what they do with their own body. And that whole cutting and self-harm is more of the same. So if they're in an environment that's controlling, now the parents may not be controlling, the child just may see them that way. And what kid doesn't see their parents as controlling? So it's just an interpretation that children are going to have. So I think as a parent, the one thing that they've got to do is they've got to get just as much help as the children do. And I think to think that the kids are the only one that needs help I think is really a little bit... You know, I, I don't think that our our um, system has that right because parents are either enabling the behaviour by trying to resist it or they're enabling the behaviour by accepting it. But either way, it's enabling the behaviour and they don't know what else to do. You know, parents are just doing the best that they possibly can. But the fact that the parents play such a significant role in the child's life, they've really got to look at getting some some significant shifts taking place and that's where i i do agree with you know um natasha Mc, uh, campbell mcbride and that removing the child from their environment and putting them in an environment where they are reconnected with themselves so that they're not looking at their parents and saying well you're controlling me they're looking at themselves saying i'm controlling me and i'm the one who's doing this to me i have control and i have a say and putting them in an environment where they have a say that's actually positive for them that's um helpful for them that has them see that control doesn't equal harm control can equal health fun 
enlivenment, um, interaction and connection. That's what control can actually look like. It's the meaning that they've got on control that's distorted. And it's nobody's fault. It's just the circumstances that, they've, that, that they're in. Mm. So I, I, I do agree. I think taking them off to a farm would be awesome, you know, if but that facility you, exists. Sorry, sweetheart, to interrupt you, but how do you know which farm? How do you know? Like, if I was to give up my daughter for four weeks to go to someone, I... But why, why go to somebody? Why not find a situation where you can go as a family? Yeah, like one of those farm yeah. stays. Nice. Well, well, yeah, exactly. Go Fantastic. somewhere where you can go as a family. and Because you're like, not just doing it for your child. So that's, that's the yeah. point. The parent has to have the change as well. No. You want to go away as a family? Yeah, because that would be punishment for the child, really, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, I remember my friend in the UK... She didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to do. They had money. It cost them $20,000 to put him into this institution or this, this place. I didn't even know what it was. It's taken him years to get over this. Oh, and it would do. Yeah. You can imagine because the kid's then going to make meaning of all of that, that I'm still not loved or that there's something wrong with me. And then they're going into an environment that's completely foreign. Then they're going to come back into the same environment that they left. You know, like it's all quite... It's all quite flawed, and that's why I say it's got to be a holistic, as you say, Cindy, it's mm. got to be a holistic approach. You know, their health has got to be restored, and the whole the, the, the health of the family has to be um, addressed. I'm just looking at that DSM that you were talking about, oh, Cindy. Oh, yeah, the Diagnostic. Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of mm. Mental Disorders. That's it. Now, mm. this is, you know, this is very... Um, yeah, and you know, I'm I'm going to read this, but I, I don't even know if I should really because it's it's not meant to make anybody responsible, but it, it, I guess it's just really meant to say that it's a familial issue to deal with, and to just think that getting help for one person is is going to solve the problem. I, I I think that that is where we're going wrong with it. It says here much research has been completed in this disorder, which is anorexia nervosa and bulimia nervosa. Much research has been completed in this disorders and results indicate a strong familial undercurrent. Many individuals with anorexia come from over-controlling families where the nurturance is lacking. And that's why I say I don't necessarily agree with that because I think that every parent's doing everything they possibly can. Studies suggest that sexual abuse survivors are more prone to this disorder as are fraternal twins and first-degree relatives of those who have had anorexia. So it's saying that there's a hereditary component to it. Um, and the latter suggesting a biological component as well. So um, there's also the, the, the thought that there's a genetic mm. contingent that plays in it. So the genetic contingent, the familial contingent of the environment and the um, psychological predisposition to the disorder, meaning the um, low self-esteem uh, and then the socio the socio environment. There was one case here that I was reading about where a child was in year seven and they weighed everybody. They weighed all the girls and they put everybody's weights up on a board and she was comparing herself to all of her peers and saw that she was heavier than the others. And that's where her disorder, um, you know, came from. Mm -hmm. So that had nothing to do with her parents, but her disorder came from that. Um, and then she either decided to continue to defy her parents' request that she eat and then that gave her a sense that she was controlling her weight. So I, I think you know. what Kim brought up is that we wait till we're in crisis. Mm. And I'm sure there's little signals along the way that something's not right. Mm. But we ignore them. 
we we lose our awareness. We've stopped being aware, um, and I've, I often talk about it. You know, the body whispers, and then it screams, and then it screams. And yeah. there are there are hints out there that what's happening to your children and what's happening in your family, and everything that has been happening. You know, it's all out there, but we're not listening. And I had a really good example of that. I did a radio interview. And I was asked about, well, what should we be feeding our kids? You know, what, what is it that we should be feeding our kids? So we're one of the most obese um, countries in the world and we're not far behind America and uh, we weren't doing well at all. So what do we feed them? And they wanted to know portion size and they wanted to know that. And, and so I said, well, it's not about portion size. It's about them eating better. And, and then I talked about how bad breakfast cereals are and that I felt that we should be eating eggs and smoothies and real food for breakfast and And the woman says to me, I have four children. I don't have time for that. Oh, wowza. Yeah, and I said, oh, what do you have time for if you don't have time for your children? Exactly. I went, it's all a matter of priority. And do you realise that this generation is our future? Mm. And if we do not do something about this generation, which now has Asperger's, autism, ADD, ADHD, allergies, um, and so on. Every A is what I've done so far. Autoimmune, Autoimmune diseases. You know, like w- what I believe today is the children who are brought up in the best of health, physically and mentally, are the future leaders of this oh, of the world, sure. and they're going to be few and far between. Because what's happening at the moment is that we're bringing up a, a group of children that are not well mentally and physically. They don't even know how to read and write or study or they cannot concentrate. Their, their nervous systems are, are, are absolutely irritated. They can't stop moving because they're irritation. Mm-hmm. And then they give them a drug to do this. And I, 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 I really believe that if, if you do have a child in this situation and you see the whispers then something has to be done within the family to stop it. If the whispers have turned to screaming and you have the ability to get into a new situation, because, like, to me, I, I keep thinking, don't we do anything for our children? Don't, like, within in reasonable way, can, can't we do everything for our children in order to change it? Can't we change our life? Like, I just remember my son, you know, not doing well in school, uh, and taking him out of school for three years, you know, that meant we had to homeschool. And in three years he got, he, you know, we figured it out and we got it all, and he was back at school again. And sometimes we have to do these things. Mm. I remember my girlfriend, her son wasn't doing well at school, and she took both her children out of school and she homeschooled them for seven years because the school system wasn't working. That's what she had to do in order to make sure that her children were fully functioning. But what if she's a solo mum and she's got to work? And oh, I'm not mm. trying to make excuses, but, you know, there might be someone... She was. She was a solo mum. And... Um, and she was working full-time. Well, she was working at jobs that she could work at so that these guys could go to school. She ended up putting her youngest, she put, she went through the whole thing to year 12 with her son and she ended up with her youngest, she put him, put her, I think in school in year nine and private school at that and worked and did it as a, as a solo mum. I, I don't know, I think it's priorities. Mm-hmm. I, I really think, would I do it? I don't know. I'm not saying I did this. 
but I think it's priorities. What are our priorities in life? Are our priorities helping our kids or helping um, this next generation? I like. I am so saddened by what is happening, and and the amount of people that come up to me after a talk and go, "My child's got autism. My child's got Asperger's. I've got the kids got eczema. They've got allergies. They've got this. They've got that." I don't know if there's an unscathed child out there. I heard somewhere. I don't know. I don't know even if you said it, Cindy. That this new generation is going to be the first generation that won't outlive their parents. That's what they say. Yeah. Yeah. That's what they're saying. And I, I, and my belief is, is that it's the aware parent. It's the parent that's woken up. Yeah. Yeah. I really think what happened was that, you know, we we went through the sixties and seventies and and. Um, it was the burning of the bra and the, you know, the liberation of women and we went into work and the, all these brand new foods came in, like breakfast cereals was the first processed food. Well, probably for convenience. It was convenience. Of, yeah, we were yeah. all working. And we weren't thinking. Mm-hmm. It, and I think that that's how it's come. And now what's happened is we've come into a, an area where we've realised that we've made a mistake. And it is the people who have woken and have become aware that realise we've made the mistake that are now making the changes. Right. And they're teaching others. And, and I see it on the internet all the time, you know, like I've been talking about this for 30 years and you've been talking about it forever too and so have you, Kim. And yet it feels like in the last four years, five years, everybody's now talking about it. Yeah, yeah. It's not just a few people talking about it. Everybody seems to be talking about it. But having said that, it's probably only about 15%, maybe 10% of the population that are. The rest are still unaware. Mm. The unaware aren't listening to this podcast. The people who are listening to this podcast are the aware. Mm. And they probably don't really need to listen to it. They're just gathering more information and more education and more tools in order to be even better than what they are now. Mm. Whereas the people who are still asleep... And are still just going about their lives in an external way mm. as opposed to an internal way are the ones that are perpetuating this health issue. And it's not until we start to wake up and become aware and start realising that something has to change. Mm. You know, sometimes these health expressions, these issues, these eating disorders are an opportunity to wake up. Yes. You know, I saw my girlfriend the mother of this boy who she went down a whole new path of her life that she never even knew existed because of her son. She started cooking him meals. They had a maid Mm -hmm. and she started to want to know what was in the food and she started really becoming involved and passionate about what he was doing. I know as hard as it is in this day and age for all the confusion and all the disparity and all the absolute confliction of advice and, and things out there, there's also a plethora of information that you can find if you're looking in the right channels. Mm. Like the, the the net. I'm not saying it's Dr. Google, but but there's some pretty good stuff on there, you mm. know. And my only advice I could give on anything around an eating disorder is like it's like running an event. You've got an end point. You want a healthy, beautiful, young man or woman as a child there's your show there's your big 
stage on a Broadway, uh, play on Broadway, what do we have to do to get there? We're well, going to have to get a producer maybe. You're probably going to have to get someone on board that actually maybe a farmer's market where you can start getting good food. You're going to need a director, maybe a holistic practitioner mm. with more knowledge that can advise you and give you support. You're going to need people in your team to actually, that are of your same tribe, your way of thinking. And I think where the confliction occurs is where you don't want to believe it. You don't, or, you, or you're scared of believing something that your mother, father, grandmother, and all these people have believed for years. You know, my Danny's grandmother believed one of my biggest problems whenever I got a cold was because I didn't eat red meat. As far as she was concerned, red meat was the answer for everything. She could be right. Mm. But at the same time, that didn't sit with me. So the tribe I tended to work around, not that I did ignored her, I took it on. But what worked for me was actually doing courses like I wanted to understand macrobiotic cooking i wanted to know what it was like to go vegan i wanted to know i just did a whole lot of research i biohacked myself yeah to find out what worked for me i think the greatest thing that i said to my friend in the uk you are the one person he's looking to you're the one because the father wasn't present you are the one person she's re- he's relying on for role modeling whether you think they're looking at you or not they are they're absorbing it via osmosis or via your behavior how to be in this world and the only way i can hear that is when i hear my children like hearing jacob didn't want to go to mcdonald's i mean i don't know if he did or he didn't i don't know if he's just saying that to please me i couldn't <laughs> find out if i really wanted but the fact that he even said that and he really and he got more money out of you yeah <laughs> There you go. It was quite clever. It was very clever. Smart. Um, But what's interesting is the language they use around it is the way I talk, Mm. which also makes me aware of the responsibility I have Mm. when I'm not talking well. Mm. Like if I'm sitting in my bathroom going, I'm fat, I'm ugly, my life sucks, I'm depressed, nobody loves me, your father's a beep, your mother's a beep. Um, If we've got language like that, that creates disharmony within a child for a start. And there may be some, whether it's attention, which is what my friend in the UK found out, he was lacking a dad and that became, I'm, I'm not saying it's there's, there's excuses for this, but there's lots of reasons for our mm. behaviour. And she realised that for her, she was trying to be this person she wasn't. So she stepped back into being a mum. I'm not your dad. I can't do that for you. But she tried to invite or enroll. She got him and she asked if he'd like to go to karate, where he had a, a teacher in a dojo that he learnt to respect the body in a completely different way, that he was obsessed with his body now. Like, you should see him now. He's married. Mm. Um, the last I heard, they were starting looking at starting a family. Thankfully, he's well enough to be in that position. But it took her and him and her partner, her husband, years and she said, for herself, finding herself. So these moments of crisis are also an inc- incredible opportunity for awareness and self-growth mm. for you as a parent. Um, and what you'll find is that a lot of people who are on this path have been in a crisis and they're now saying, well, what is it that I need to do in order to get myself well? Because they're not getting what you know, they're not getting answers from their doctor. So they'll go to the doctor, the doctor will say, go on antidepressants, or they'll go to their doctor and the doctor will say, go on this. Or, And they're realising that that's not the answer. But what I love even more is that many medical doctors, functional medical doctors now, are, are there because of their own crisis, mm. like Dr. Karen Phelps, like Dr. Yes. Sarah Godfrey, like, doc, like there's so many of them out there at the moment 
that when I hear their story, I realise that, you know, they were in crisis. The profession couldn't help them. So they had to look outside the profession because the profession, and I, and I realise it more and more, the healthcare system is about Band-Aids. Mm. The healthcare system is not about prevention. Mm. The healthcare system is about crisis, not about keeping us well. And when we get in these crises, nobody loves your child more than you do. And by you... Um, putting some education and some effort and some information, getting some information out there, then you actually become the orchestra orchestrator or the the conductor of the the health of this ch- of your children, as opposed to giving all power and responsibility to somebody that knows how to diagnose and, and treat a disease with a drug. Mm. And yes, drugs are needed definitely, medications are needed, but I think we've abused them mm. and. I really believe that abuse in medication is also part of the crisis we now see with our children uh, having these um, orthorexia nervosa and bulimia and um, overeating or obesity and, and all of those things all relate back to the physical health of the, the digestive tract and the brain-gut access and how we think about things as a result of the health of our gut and then the, the cascading of effects that happen as a result of that. So you what know, comes first? The chicken or the egg? Do you... What if you've got a child that just that says they're eating these broths or they're taking it and then they're throwing it up or they're, they're pretending they're eating it and they're acting. So the mother now thinks they've done the right thing, but the child's still not well. Um, do you think, Karen, it comes back to... Well, that's the psychological component. You know, that's the part, and it's it's combined. Mm. You know, like it's a, it's it's both are involved, but I th- and, and that's the, the addressing of both aspects. From a psychological perspective, there's definitely stuff going on there that's not what we would consider to be normal behaviour. Yeah. So that absolutely needs to be addressed 100% and quite ferociously because the belief systems that are driving the behaviour is where the problem lies. So the belief systems need to be, need to be one, uncovered, and two, addressed, and three, healed. Um, and until we were prepared to do that, and I think for a lot of people, that's the most challenging part. You know, it's the most difficult part. Yes, you can make the brain, the bone broths, broths, and yes, you can. So I can't even say bone broths properly. But yeah, we can make those things and give them to our to our kids and to the people that we know who are suffering. But if they're psychologically not connected to that, then they're going to they're going to tell you what you want to hear. Mm. They're going to give you what you want because it's just going to shut you up. So then you give them peace, and then they get what they want because they've felt like they're in control of that situation. So they've been able to say no, and in very few parts of their lives, they probably feel that they can't say no. So they get to say no, and people listen to them, and um, everything you know, works and enables the disorder to continue the next day. What do you do then? Well, you know, I think, if I th- personally, for me, I think that there's a combination of things that needs to take place. I think that the environment that the person is in absolutely needs to change. Um, and I think that everybody needs to play, you know, take responsibility for that. 
if 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 it's a, if it's a child in a family situation, it's a familial responsibility. It's not just one person's responsibility. It's everybody's responsibility. You can't keep things the same way and expect things to change. You just can't because it won't happen. So everybody in that family, the dynamic of that family, has contributed to that child's disorder for some reason, and everybody needs to play a part in the healing of that. And if and if that involves everybody dealing with their own personal issues and everybody dealing with their own personal um, traumas, then that's what needs to happen. You know, we can't all... You know, uh, 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 an environment is created by each of its contributors and each of its contributors brings to the environment their own positives and their own negatives. So everybody needs to heal their own traumas and everybody needs to heal their own negativity in order to change the environment. But you say that and I hear that, mm. but how? Okay, so get counselling. Mm. Do the work. Do whatever works required. And if you knew how to do it, you would have already done it. So my advice to anybody who out there who has this sort of issue is if you knew how to fix it, you would have fixed it at the minute it started. So concede defeat concede defeat that you don't know how to fix it and then get somebody in who does yeah go and find the help and that help is going to come with expert advice on the food of course and expert advice from a psychological perspective and and from it, a relationship and a family and totally a, but i think the other thing that happens in these situations once you have you'll have difference of opinion in the tribe say we've got one of our listeners as part of the tribe mm. as opposed to a fairly orthodox person who feels that hospitalisation is the only way or drugs are the only way, mm. I think sometimes the lesson in that is we have to accept each to their own journey. Um, For sure. And you cannot always be evangelical or, or be someone that, look, it breaks my heart seeing what happens out there but the person's belief system is going to drive that for that child. So if the, the parents believe that doctors, drugs and, and hospitalisation is the way to treat that, then that child is going to have a life that, that's that path. Mm. And it wouldn't matter how much anyone said from the outside until those parents were in a much different headspace or perhaps had some awakening within them to try or look at something else they will think that that is the only option. But I think, too, these sorts of situations in families can also be the catalyst to that because people will be more likely to try anything. You know, we'll try anything, just give me anything, let me just try all the alternatives and let me just see what happens. But you're right, there are some people who are not going to do that. But I don't mean to knock either no. of you for this, bit, but the alternatives are much harder work. Yes, there's a lot more. Agreed. Oh, sure, <laughs> sure. But, but, <laughs> Agreed. But, but, but get this. But, but get this. And everybody that's listening, get this. There's an aspect of responsibility that's required from every member of that family. Mm -hmm. And if everybody's taking responsibility other than the affected person, that dynamic is not going to work. And if, that di if, the, if the affected person is the only one taking responsibility, that dynamic won't work for them either, not long term, because their environment has to change holistically. So there's an aspect of responsibility that's required from everybody. And make no mistake, if we're looking at this from a perspective of purpose, make no mistake, if I'm the only person in my family that is suffering from anorexia or some kind of eating disorder, trust me, it's not just about me. It's about everybody in my life, and it's about everybody that's in my direct, in my direct, direct sphere of influence. It's not just about me. I happen to be the catalyst and the facilitator of 
responsibility for everybody. And if everybody doesn't take responsibility, then the purpose of me having that eating disorder is kind of um, becomes purposeless. So you're saying, let's say this child, a child is at school and a teacher's noticed it and other parents have noticed this child's losing weight or or that they're looking less and less healthy. And when you say everybody needs, in their direct influence, needs to take responsibility, in what way and how? Well, I think that, you know, certainly um, from a psychological perspective, a child's family, their direct, their, their immediate family, has the greatest influence on them, um, positively or negatively. But that direct family has the greatest influence on them. If other people are noticing it, then obviously there's something there for them to get as well. But their responsibility, it's not their responsibility to fix the child. It's, it's, and, and they can't because they don't have the ability to do that unless there's some kind of intervention that plays out and, you know, then it becomes a whole other conversation because if the family is not able to be present for the child for, for some reason, either they're not there or there's abuse involved or there's sexual abuse involved, then somebody else stepping in, obviously then that's a whole other conversation. But I think if in a normal sort of familial environment, the immediate family has the greatest influence. So if you just start there and to say, well, look, I know my kid's got this, then everybody's got to take responsibility for that. And that means getting help. It means getting help externally from people who know how to do it. And there's lots of foundations out there. There's a foundation that I'm working with at the moment called the Butterfly Foundation, and they're here in Australia. And that's one place to start, to just go and start seeking out help. Mm. You know, there are rehabilitation centres. There are farm stays, as Cindy's suggesting. There are health retreats that people can go on. I mean, I think if a person's eyes are open, they'll find it. But if you think that doing what you've always done is going to eventually bring help or eventually change the situation, then I think that that's a little misguided. I think that there's um, it, it's disharmony in any way is an invitation for transformation, really. And I think the 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 uh, the note here for any new parents. Uh, is that really look out for this stuff. Mm. So, you know, I, I have a friend and, I, and they're in a situation right now where she's 20 years of age, her daughter, and she's 120 kilos and growing. Mm. And that did not start yesterday. No. That started a long time ago. And I, I don't know. I, I, you know, I can't tell you exactly what's happened. But I think there's been blinkers on and um, and now it's to the point where the, it's a 20-year-old girl. She has her own choice. She can make her own choices. Mm. You know, she had the opportunity to go to a farm stay, but she didn't want to go. She wanted to stay in the situation she was in. She enjoyed her eating. She, uh, you know, like she's so addicted to food. Mm. It's like a drug addict. No, don't take that away from me. Don't, no, don't send me there. Don't take me away from it. It's the same thing. So... Try and prevention is far easier than cure. Than cure. Sure. So watch out for these little signs and, and try and come together as a family. Educate yourself. Um, start on the healing process. Start eating the right food. Start have, you know learning how to do relationships. How many hours of, of podcasting have we done now? 90 hours? Really? Something like that. Mm. And I think of, of all the things that we have talked about, you know, Karen, you've really come up with some great 
ideas of how to change your mindset. And Kim, you've come up with some brilliant family rituals and and things that are needed to be done in relationships. And and next week we're going to talk, you know, about marriage and and you being a marriage celebrant. So I just think that it's about um, it's prevention. Is you know, in the end, prevention is going to be the way to go. Watch out for these signs and, and signals and don't ignore them mm. and perpetuate them in any way. But try and um, nip, nip it in the butt. So, if you what immediately would you, in closing this, okay. what would be your advice if someone was in crisis now? Okay, so this is not the family; this is the individual person. As, individual, as a young, a, let's say it's a young. young person is in crisis now. It's been building; it's been showing. Everyone's got concern, but it's at the point where the child could be hospitalised. Okay, what would your advice? to the family and to this, these people be? Well, I, I can't give advice to anybody, but I can tell you what I would do. Great. And my husband and I, and I've often talked about this, that if our child was in crisis, because we watched a couple of teenage kids become in, involved in many crisis situations, and now I look at them and they're in their 20s and they're in real trouble. And my husband and I always said that we would pick the family up and we would leave and go out to the country and become isolated as a family with no television, no, nothing like that, and really try and live um, a natural life. Now, we never got to that point where we had to do that. So I, you know, except we took Brogan out of school and we, you know, homeschooled him for three years, but we never got to that point where we had to do that. But that, that would be what I would do. That, that would be my advice to myself. No matter what, I don't care about materialistic things and money. What I care about is the health of our children and that we don't see them in 10 years' time embroiled in a relationship that they've been beaten up and they're on drugs and they can't, they can't get out of that situation because they've, they've not had that opportunity to nip it in the bud at the time. I may be wrong, I might be right, but this is what I would, would hope to do. And, I, I, and if my grandchildren are like this, I, w- I would hope that my husband and I can do that, you know, get get them out of the situation, help our children get them out of that situation. It doesn't take, you know, we, we all have this materialistic world where we think we need money and we've got this and we've got that, but in the end I don't think that that's the important thing. I think the important thing is the health of and the men- mental and physical health of those children. So that's my advice to myself. What's your advice to yourself, Ms. <laughs> Well, not having children. <laughs> if you had a niece or a nephew. Yes, yes, yes. Um, well, I think if I had a niece or a nephew, I would be so in their face. <laughs> <laughs> we know she would be. I would be so in their face. I'm just thinking of my two gorgeous nephews now and if, you know, if, if, if they were to go through anything like this. But I guess, you know, um, that's because I'm who I am. Um, with the experience that I've got, but if I didn't have the experience that I have, I would I, I would say you know do whatever you can to seek out people who can help. You know it's not enough to just go to a psychiatrist, and it's not enough to go to a psychologist. You've got to go to somebody who specialises in these areas, because they're the ones that have got the experience. They're the ones who've seen the befores, the durings, and the afters. They're the ones who can see the signs and understand what to look for and what to watch out for and how to manipulate the situation so that everybody comes out transformed as a result. So I would say find 
people who have got specific experience in this field. If you've got somebody who's just about to be hospitalised or if you're about to be hospitalised, well, you know, um, it's either going to be a catalyst for our undoing Mm. or it'll be a catalyst for our redoing. Mm. And every one of us has choice. And once we, once we reach, reach a certain age, which really is around the ages, somewhere between 10 and 14, once we reach a certain age, we are aware that we are aware and we are responsible for ourselves. To a certain extent, we have the ability to be responsible for our choices. So we may not know what to do. We may not know how to do it differently. But um, there's always people out there who can point us in the right direction. We're never alone. So if you don't know how to do it, go find out. If you don't know what you don't know, go find out. And even though we don't know how to do it better, we always do know that better exists. We definitely do know that. So go find somebody who can point us in the right direction and then take responsibility for creating a life that is um, ideal for you. Hmm. What about you, Kimmy? What would your advice be? Um, I think as the mother of of teenage children who could very well be affected, you know, and this is the age that they become very affected, um, predominantly and generally Mm. speaking, Mm. um, I think what I have learnt more than anything is gather as much information as possible, believe everything and believe nothing. (laughs) Um, In other words, take everybody's advice with the intention that it's given and that is the best advice that they can give. But I absorb that and I have learnt rather than acting on that particular information is I want to sit with that information and see what feels right in my heart Mm. and what is the best thing for my child because I think I have an innate intelligence that would know what is the right thing. Now, I feel very privileged. I mean, I've got the two best therapists sitting in front of me. I would be on your doors, both of you. Exactly. So, but if I could, so be in your face. Yeah. We would yeah. be in each other's faces right now. I would totally you know? in your face. But I think from there, the people that can't rock up to your house and couldn't call in on you, Karen, or that's what these 90 hours of podcasting is about. That's why we started these podcasts. That's what we wanted to share. We don't know it. We don't have all the answers, but I think it's conversations like this mm. that allows you to seek and find your own truth. And if truth is how we spoke about it last week, which is the absolute source of all good and the source of all no thing, nothing, then really we do know the innate answer. Mm. We do know the truth, for, and especially as a mother or a father, you do know what's best for your child. And sometimes that means cleaning up your own stuff first mm. or with that child. For sure. Um, and so I would be seeking, gathering, I'd be researching, and then I'd be asking people that I thought had more knowledge than me, asking what they thought, until I found a resonance that spoke my truth from all of them. Because I do believe in what you said at the beginning, is it is a very full-pronged attack or, mm. or embracing of or whatever. But... I would not be taking just one person's recommendation. I would be looking at yeah. lots. Um, I don't know if that's right or wrong, but that's what would feel. I, I was sitting here as you guys were talking, thinking, what would I do? Well, 
I'm very grateful I have friends that are quite intelligent and very knowledgeable in different areas and I'd be I'd be on there I'd be like a bloody lion that all get sick of me that be I'd be asking for reports I'd be looking for downloads I'd be I'd become a vigilant researcher that's what I'd be mm. doing and I hadn't even thought of the farm I've never thought about something like that but to take my child out of the environment that they're in in order to create an opportunity for change that resonates with me mm. now it might not resonate with me tomorrow but maybe the plan as a family is within six weeks, let's get to this level, let's day by day, let's get this nutrition the best that we can to hear and let the child or the person or the family be a team in this, in knowing that in six weeks we're going to do this or in two weeks or in one week or whatever the choices are. I think out of all of it, though, I've also really learned there is no blame and I would definitely encourage parents mm. to not sit there and blame themselves or blame the child or blame... Well, it's kind of wasted energy. Mm. You know, the energy that you're putting into blaming yourself or blaming anybody else is kind of it's wasted energy. Don't do it because mm. it's really you know you can't you can't determine where it came from and where it started and whose fault it is. There's no point in even going down that path. Put that same energy into the recovery and into the healing, for into everybody. the research and the education yeah. and the knowledge and yeah. what you need to do. Yeah, go I, nuts. Yeah, go nuts. Yeah, and 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 you know, and and, and feel proud of the fact that this is a health expression, that this is an opportunity for growth. But also I really believe the most important thing of all is like what you've always said, Karen, there's no accidents. Mm. There is purpose. There is a greater good. There is a greater meaning. And here's an, you know, it is what it is. And don't give a story. Don't give it a story. That's a really a good piece of advice. Yeah. Mm. Don't give it a story. Just see it for what it is. And with what it is, then, yeah, get stuck in so on that note hopefully this podcast has been a little bit informative for you guys i think that the important thing is that you understand that we're all sharing from our own individual perspectives and it's your job now if you know anybody or if you love anybody or if it's you who's experiencing anything that you know you feel is an eating disorder then you know, from here, it's your invitation to go and do something about it and certainly use us as a platform of um, permission to go nuts. You know, really, just just don't attach a story to it and get stuck into the healing. So we'd love to hear from you guys um, and we'd love to hear your thoughts. So go to our Facebook page at allthews.facebook.com forward slash up for a chat or you can also post on um all the w's dot the wellness couch dot com forward slash up for a chat and of course if anybody is in a crisis make sure that you call lifeline on 13 11 14 and you can also contact any of your local authorities i also mentioned the butterfly foundation which is doing amazing work so have a look at them as well so join us here next week on up for a chat and become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world we'll see you on the ride Hi, it's Damien Christoph here. It's less than 100 days until the Wellness Summit and we are jumping out of our skins to be with you at Crown Melbourne on Saturday, August 16 and 17, 2014. If you want to take your summit experience to a whole new level, then I urge you to join us as a VIP. This year, we have two VIP levels, not just one, two. We have gold and platinum. Both include front row seats, DVD recordings of the event, goodies from our speakers, intimate VIP only time with the speakers and massive 
gift vouchers which can be used on future wellness couch events and products. To take your summit experience to the next level, go to www.thewellnesssummit.com. But be quick, VIP spots are limited and they will sell out. See you at the summit. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.